As we think about our, our stage of our church, you know, it's a wonderful blessing to know that this church has been here for 136 years. Thank God for the people who started the church under great sacrifice. Mr. and Mrs. Allen Hill came up from the Coffee Creek Baptist Church in southern Indiana and rented a home here in this new town called Hammond. Two large slaughterhouses and a railroad going through our town. How many thank God for the railroad that got put in our town here? My goodness, how many have ever been stopped by a train? You know, okay, you can thank the folks who did that years ago. But they came here to this, uh, this town, and of course, a lot of roustabouts across the country had come here to make some money and send it back. But of course, saloons and houses of ill repute were unfortunately what kind of followed the roustabout mentality. And it was not an easy place. As a matter of fact, I understand other folks had tried to come here to start a church and were not successful and were overwhelmed. By the way, the success or failure of any church plant rests heavily upon the man of God himself. The man and woman, and of course, thank God for Alan and uh, Hill and his lovely wife, 52 years old when they started this church, rented a home, began to tell folks about Christ and led many people to the Lord. And, and uh, by that, they came in, I think, in April, by November the 28th, and that's coming up here in just a few short weeks. November the 28th, they rented the conference room and the attic of the Morton House Hotel. And there had their first organized service with a charter signing. Twelve people signed the charter. And uh, Alan Hill and his wife didn't even sign it, I don't think. It was other people who signed it. And then in April, they'd go through the winter with those 12 people that, uh, that signed it. There were adults. More than that probably came. But there was a married couple, two sisters, several single adults, if I'm not mistaken, uh, signed on that. And then in April, Pastor Hewitt came and he went on, Brother Hill went on to start other churches. Pastor Hewitt took the group and they uh, were given the property across the street here by the former mayor, Mayor Toll. And he uh, gave them the property and they put up the first building and sacrificed together as a young fledgling church to buy the, and provide the materials and put a building up. And it was the first Baptist church of Hammond. Now, I think that I love thinking about the history of that. I have no idea what it'd be like to live in the late 1800s, but I know that uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy going through that first winter. It wasn't easy for someone to come. Pastor Hill was sponsored by his church, the church down in southern Indiana, the ones who paid his salary while he came to get it started. And, you know, I can't imagine how many people, and, of course, Pastor Hill has been with the Lord many, many years. He probably wasn't alive much more than 30 years after he started the church, and I don't remember when he passed away. But, uh, but for all these decades, people have been coming to know the Christ as their Savior. Even today, people got saved. And then because of the training ministry of First Baptist Church and when God called the Texas tornado to come here in 1959, Brother Hiles started the college 13 years later. Great sacrifice again to start a college and to train people and, and develop them. And I've had the joy over the weekend to be with several of our graduates and to listen to them talk and to watch one of them teach Sunday school this morning to 55 adults and watch these couples and people raise their hand, pray for my boss at work. He's having surgery. I've witnessed to him several times. A regular fella in a Sunday school class witnessing to his boss. And he said, please pray for me. He's going to have a surgery this week, and his heart is still hard. I'm praying that God will let me lead him to Christ. Another one said, my friend at work has a son, Preston, who was in the emergency room all night last night. Would you pray that God would use this so we could see uh, his family come to know Christ as Savior? That's one Sunday school class in the world, but a representation of what the Lord has done through Hiles Anderson College. Now we have folks all over the world. 
in different uh, locations of the world that uh, have the same story. They came through here first, the First Baptist Church of Hammond and Two Hiles Anderson College, and now are being used of God in different venues of the world. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful blessing. We're coming now to a, a unique time of our church's, uh, our church's history. And not only to have a church for 136 years, but to have it sustained and be relevant today, to be conservative today, to be still reaching people and still doing the same things that have been done throughout the ages. That's unbelievable. Detroit Baptist Temple, you would not recognize it today. You would not recognize Highland Park Baptist Church because it's no longer in existence. So many churches, and I could go down, the First Baptist Church of Hollywood, Florida, was a great soul-winning church, and now it's, you would not recognize it as being a gospel-preaching church. I just drove this week by um, a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. The former pastor, many, we've heard him, he's spoken here at First Baptist Church across the street, but now you would not recognize it as a soul-winning, a conservative church. So many stories like that are churches much younger than even we are, and yet are no longer uh, considered uh, a conservative, Bible-believing, soul-winning church. But God has chosen in His sovereignty and His providence and His grace, His protection, His provision to allow us to be here in 2023. We took probably the biggest gut punch a church can take in 2012 in so many ways that uh, oftentimes churches do not survive such a thing, especially of our magnitude and continue on, or they change their name, or go off into the... And you know, the Lord's given us people. We're still uh, a far cry from being where we ought to be. We may be a little bit above normal, or above average, but we're nowhere near normal. We've got a lot of room to growth, and we're not doing what we ought to be doing. And all of us who are honest with ourselves would say, I'm not the soul winner I should be. I'm not the prayer warrior I should be. I'm not the holy Christian I need to be. There's more room for growth in all of our lives. But I look at this church, and I think... Man, the Lord has been so very good to us. And I don't think what we're doing now we could have done five years ago, seven years ago. Couldn't have done it probably three years ago. I do think it's a little bit, uh, we're a little bit Johnny come lately on getting it done. I think for many, for the more I think about this situation, I feel like that this is, uh, this is a, a project that we must continue to be focused on, not just in one area of Chicago, but any place where people are, they need a gospel preaching word. Um, but the key to that is people. The, the hard thing about this church plan is not the building. Uh, that's not going to be the hard part. The hard part is going to be reaching people, fighting the devil, um, discipling converts, continuing on through the difficulties and trials. But uh, the initial challenge is obtaining this building. And I believe God is in this situation. I, I, I say that with, with reservation, a tad bit, and a lot of nervousness. At the same time, I'm as excited as I've ever been about anything. I feel like there's no self-serve. We're not trying to, there's, there's nothing in my mind that would say, oh, First Baptist Church, we're so great. We did this. This is just, this would be of God if God chose to do it. How many have seen the pictures of the church before? You've seen the pictures. Do we have those available up there? Could we find them, Courtney? If you could find them, let me know if you find those. I look at them again today, just thinking about I had a sweet friend that's a graduate of our college out in Pennsylvania, and they came down to the, uh, to the, um, to the wedding and dropped me off at the airport this afternoon. And they're in Nashville, and, and uh, he said, I don't understand. What are you doing? And I told him, he said, oh, pastor, there's just not very many churches that could do that. 
But I'm so glad to know, like they say, we listen to every service at First Baptist Church. We always listen. If we don't catch it live, we'll catch it recorded. We listen to each of the messages. We know that you've been preaching in the book of Revelation and Romans and Luke. <laughs> and uh, so he said, we know what you've been preaching. He said, but, you know, just to know that there's a stirring going on, to do something beyond your borders is a beautiful thing. And I think it's just a great opportunity. And I, 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 when I think about this, I can't help but think about the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is a unique book of the Bible. Just a few chapters, and it chronicles the story of a man who cared, who prayed, and who believed in a great God. In this first chapter, you'll see it. He has no reason. He is miles away from the people who need his help. 400, 500 miles. He's in Persia, there in Jerusalem. He's never even been there. He wasn't probably born there. His fathers and grandfathers were born there, but he's been in captivity and is laid over. His parents were taken captive, and now he's over in, in Persia. But he's got a great job. He works for the king of Persia. He was the king's cupbearer. But uh, there were people that were suffering. Three things you'll see in chapter 1. Great need. Number two, a great God. And number three, great power is available. You'll see it exactly those words, great affliction and reproach, a great God, and great power. But what was he? He was one guy 400 miles away from people who needed him. I couldn't help but think about that. Most of us, there are a few precious people tonight here that come from the north side of Chicago on Sunday night. I mean, we have some devoted people that even in COVID, they got here every, every service from the north side of Chicago, and people would come, and I see them come in, I'm always amazed. I'm amazed when people come from down in South County and South Lake County and, and Valparaiso and, and Couts and other places. They'll come way out there to come this way, but I also think about people who come on the other side of the loop and come from a long ways to get here and to be faithful. But, you know, most of us, we, we, I've talked to many people, say, Pastor, I don't know anything about North Chicago. I get turned around there. I just go to the airport. That's all I want to do is go to the airport and come back. I don't go up there. But, you know, I would suggest some folks went out this week and tried to find the building. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to consider looking at that. We've got it there. Let's watch the look at these buildings. I just think this is a, this is a beautiful building here. In the far right is the auditorium. And then there's, there's 22 Sunday school classes and other auditoriums underneath there. Here's the, here's the main foyer there of the auditorium. There's the auditorium itself that seats 480 people. There's a Sunday school class there, a little restroom, and I think they have a kitchen that we could use there. Praying that God would do something just amazing. I feel like, I feel like that, uh, once again, if this were to come to us three years ago, I've been thinking about this for a long time, kind of like Nehemiah. I'm not a Nehemiah in any stretch of the imagination, but this has been something on my heart. For many years, and I remember years ago, and I told you this Wednesday night, I remember as a 19-year-old boy, uh, as I asked to be by Brother Young, to be a bus captain up in, the, up in the south side of Chicago, and it's not near as far, 35 minutes off 43rd and Halstead. I remember just walking that, that bus route every week and meeting people and taking down names and eventually getting to sit down with parents and show them how to be saved. And I knew if I didn't get the parents, I wasn't going to keep the kid most of the time. And that's just the way it was. It just seems like if you can get them when they're little, but if you don't get the parents to have some influence with that, you're going to struggle. I remember sitting down and 
talking to Mr. Raymond about the Lord, winning Mrs. Connor to the Lord, and, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Feehill talking to them, and, and trying to share the gospel with people, Wally Durkowicz's mom and dad, and trying to get them to come. And a few of those folks got saved. I mean, they were genuinely got saved, and, and they were excited about it. Even got them to ride the bus one time, or drive in behind the church, and a couple of them got baptized. In the old building, I, I, I explained to them about that. I said, okay, we'll do that. We know we need to do that. But they said, you know, Pastor, we just can't ride that bus. I remember sometime Brother Ray would go in our bus meetings and say, look, we, if you're going to have a bus this week, you're going to have to raise the money to get the bus. It's going to be $80. You've got to raise $80 among your workers, and then you can have your own bus because we're going through a difficult time financially. And I remember getting the money together, and I would sacrifice. Our workers would sacrifice. Mike, Mike Pine was on our bus route. Uh, your brother, Hugo, was on our bus route at that time. My brother, Mark, and, and Steve Hinkle, and some other guys. The other guys just pray that God give us some money. If you get $10 or $15, let me know. We're going to get together. I remember one Saturday after there were several weeks of doing that, I, I would walk by a little storefront, and I would see a storefront for, for rent. And I could just see a little chair sit up there and see a pulpit there and thinking, you know what, I couldn't get Raymond's dad to come to church, but I think I can get him to in that building right there. But if I got him there, I don't know who would preach to him because I'm not a preacher. Maybe I can get one of the college professors to come and preach to them. or We could take that $80 and put it toward a building there so they could have a church right there in Canaryville. That was a burden on my heart back then. But I think about North Chicago, and I don't know much about North Chicago. Brother John, who spoke this morning on prayer, he knows, he knows Chicago like the back of his hand. I don't think there's anyone in their building. Maybe Daryl Amani uh, thinks he knows it more than, than John knows it. Yeah. Daryl does. He knows all the streets and the things like that. But some of you guys, you might drive for Lyft or Uber. You might know it better. But Brother John knows that. He's been up there 40 years. And many times trying to talk to people to come. They don't even tell them they're going to Indiana. Just tell them they're going on the bus. Let's go to Sunday school. And they're like, where? Indiana, what? <laughs> we'll get you home. Don't worry about it. All right. You know, can't even imagine, imagine that situation. I was talking to a man. He said, oh, my goodness. He said, I, I used to serve in the north side. He said, I can't tell you how many times. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to Indiana. But you can take my kids if you want to. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, you can go over here, we've got 15 blocks away. We've got a mile away, we've got, about, we've got about a 10 minute drive, we'll get there. And see what God could do. Well, Nehemiah had a heart for people that were not close to him. There were long ways, and he had no reason. He was the king's cupbearer. Everything was fine in his world. He had a good paycheck, he had a comfortable, cushy job, but he had a burden. You know, a burden is oftentimes birthed out of prayer. Two things that, cause, that prayer causes to do. You say, Pastor, why are we praying? Well, one thing that prayer does, it creates a vision for what God is trying to do. Number two, it gives us passion to do what God is trying to get accomplished. I'm not interested in having God help us. I want to, be, I want to, I want to follow God into these situations. And I'm praying that that's the case. I believe it's the case. But Nehemiah, you'll find here that Nehemiah was in a good place, but he gets a visit from his brother, Hananiah. Hananiah had some a privilege that he didn't get to do. He got to make the 900-mile round trip to Jerusalem and to come back. And when he came back into Persia, into Shushan, the palace where he worked, maybe sitting around tea one night and, and, uh, and a coffee cake, they were sitting there and tea cakes or whatever they were, sitting around, he said, tell me. What did you see? 
Did you get to see Grandpa's grave? Did you, what was it? Tell me, it's a beautiful city, the city of our great king. Tell me about that. What's it like? Well, let's see what he says. Look, if you would please, in Nehemiah chapter 1, you'll see the response that he finds out. Notice verse 2, and that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah, other guys from that area, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Would you look at verse 3? Read it out loud with me, would you please? And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof. Jerusalem had a wall that was 12 meters high. It was, uh, they had 10 gates there. 34 watchtowers around the city gate. And he said, well, tell me, tell me what's, I've never been there. What was it like to be in Jerusalem? He said, it's terrible. He said, it's awful. There's great affliction. That means there's heaviness on the people that are there. There's a reproach. It's an embarrassment to God how people are thinking, how they're living, what's going on. And the walls are broken down, and it's, it's, it, the gates are burned with fire. I mean, you, these people just, they're every, just they can go in and out to molest and challenge everything. It, it's awful. And it's interesting, it says here that Nehemiah asked. He had enough care to ask. You know, I, I think all of us, uh, we're, we're honestly, we're not concerned really, of the burdens of other people, genuinely. We really are not interested in knowing everything that needs to be known sometimes about how people are suffering. But Nehemiah didn't. He had a, he had a burden. He had a burden to care and ask, what's going on? And when he heard it, it broke his heart. We see, first of all, there was great affliction. And by the way, I'll just tell you, fast forward the story. We may read some more Nehemiah in, in upcoming weeks. But it turned out really good. It turned out really good. Nehemiah took his, took his burden and he waited. He prayed. Uh, he explained his burden and he made a plan and prepared to get it done. This is, this is a really a good type of an organizer, a ruler in the Bible. Rulers oftentimes have a lot of things, strategies, and thinking, how can we get this done, and what can be done, and who can help with this, and situations, and no doubt, Brother John, I think, has one of his stronger uh, suits and stronger gifts of, of ruling. He's already thinking through some of these matters, working, working out who can help. He's already given me a list of people. Pastor, do you think this member of our church might help with this? Do you think this member would help with this particular project? And reaching the Spanish, and reaching the teens, and reaching the children, and and soul winning, which one of our college, what are we going to do with the college tour group, or not the tour groups, the bus routes, and how to get those guys uh, organized so that we can do more with less and more efficiently, rather than spending 15 routes. We won't have to do 15 routes. We can do nine or 10 because they're all so close together. What normally would take us a lot longer to pick up everybody and, and get them gathered to get them to Hammond on time, now we can get them there very easily and much easier, I should say. A lot of things going on, and we find that Nehemiah did that. He gathered people. In chapter 3, you'll find that everybody got involved. The priests got involved. The craftsmen got involved. The rulers got involved. Uh, the ladies got involved. A man and his daughters put together part. And then three times you'll see that some of the people did extra work. They did another piece. What, because some of the rulers put not their necks to the work. 
is some of the leadership in any kind of a, a attempt like this, they're just not bought in. They just don't have the burden. There's no doubt. There's, I'll meet with the staff tomorrow, but we have wonderful staff members, but some of them could care less about what's going on. And some of the deacons, most of them, I mean, we had a really good deacons meeting. We're excited about it. But to most everybody, amen, amen. Then and, and we don't mind. I, I think it's fine to, for someone to put up some concerns or what about this. And we're not trying to railroad anything. But I, I will tell you, when it comes time to work at it, everybody ought to get involved. Everybody ought to say, what can I do? And you know, Nehemiah was that way. Nehemiah was in the trenches with the people. And he was working with them. And I want to be in the trenches with you. And certainly, once again, I'm no Nehemiah. We're thinking about this situation, and, and, but you got everybody involved, and it, and it tells what everybody did. And some took another piece. They finished their job, and they went to another place on the wall and did another room. Extra work. And everybody participated. And then miraculously, in 52 days, the gates were hung on 10 gates. The 12-meter wall was completely done. The 34 watchtowers were put together. Everybody did their job, and at the end, God got glory. Let's, if you would please, hold your place in chapter 1. Let's look at chapter 6. Of course, they had several things. Finances was in the middle in chapter number 5, and it popped up for sure. The enemies came, and they began to cause all kinds of problems to take place, and they mocked them, and then they threatened them, and then they brought fear upon them, and then they tried to trick them, and and subvert their, their plans and tried to get them to go out to Ono for a little rendezvous. And you always want to say no to Ono, you know, and, and uh, don't go there. He, they were trying to all kinds of different ways. But look, if you would, please, verse number 16, or verse 15. This is the middle of the book. And, of course, the book is not over. God's going to go into a time of worship with the people and continuance there. Verse number 15, so the wall was finished in the 20th and the 5th day of the month and Elio and 50 and 2 days. Verse 16, and it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. Would you read the rest of the verse with me? This is a classic underline. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, ready? For they perceived that this work was wrought of, that's what I wanted. I want to have a life only God can explain. I want to do something that only God could put it together and only God could make it come to fruition. And I, I want to trust him. I want to encourage you to trust him and, and trust him through prayer. But in chapter 1, we'll go back there. We find, first of all, there was great affliction, great reproach. Then in chapter 1, we also find that, God, that Nehemiah, he refers to God being great numerous times in this passage of Scripture in the book of Nehemiah. But look, if you would please, at the next one, verse number 4. And it came to pass that I heard these words that I sat down. First of all, he heard. Number two, he sat down and did what? He wept. It's not something I've done yet on behalf of this particular thing. Probably something I need to do. Mourned certain days. And fasted. That's something I have done, and I would like to ask you to consider fasting on Thursday of this week if you're able to. If, you, if Thursday doesn't work for you, pick a day. But Thursday, I'd like to call a, a church fast for us to pray specifically for his will and his provision, his protection, his working in this time. He fasted. This was a private fast, obviously, for him. We're asking for a corporate fast. And he prayed before the God of where? 
heaven. Verse 5, and he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. Oh, did you notice this? The great and terrible God. When you see terrible, that does not mean a negative. It means he's just, he has great power. That keepeth the covenant of mercy for them that love him. Are you in that group of people that love him? I hope I am, and I want you to be. Observe his commandments. We do what he, we love him. We show our love by our obedience to the Lord. Is there any commandment of God you're breaking? I'll just say this. You know, I feel like that God says he can make all things work together for good. To what group of people? To the people that love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And friends, let me tell you, you may only be one person in this church, but you're very important to this church. Our church is only as strong as our weakest member, member on its most wicked day. Well, if you got something that's not right, you know, when God made man, he gave him responsibility, dress and keep this garden, Adam. Number two, he, go, he pointed him to a tree and said, there's a rule. Don't eat that tree. Number three, he introduced him to himself, the God who would walk with him in the cool of the day. And then he introduced him to Eve. He gave him a responsibility, a rule, and a relationship. You know, when we're a train wreck, it's when we're not responsible. When we don't keep the rules. And here he says, keep my commandments. And we're not working on relationships. You work in your relationship, your relationships will work, start working. You've got, you've got a marriage, keep working in your relationship. Don't, 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 don't stop working on it. Keep working on it. Let God help you with that. You've got children that are, that are away, keep asking God. Keep them in your space. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Uh, you've got a relationship with your boss that's struggling. Don't look for another job right away. Ask God to take you through that situation. Say, God, is there, is there a reason I'm here? What am I supposed to do? So many of us were so quick to want to transition out of an uncomfortable situation. We really need to ask God. We ought to pray our way through situations. And say, God, transform me through. Instead of me just taking exits every time I can and I'm not comfortable. Let me ask God to help me through that situation. Well, this man did that, and certainly, certainly uh, he, he, he said, Lord, I know that you're not only we have great affliction and reproach, we have great God. He's a great and terrible God. I know what you can do. And there are ten prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah, ten of them. Eight of them are spontaneous. They're like just all of a sudden a problem comes, and he just starts praying. He gets threatened, he starts praying. Something, something comes up, he, the king says, what are you so sad? You've never been sad before. He starts praying. Eight of them are spontaneous. By the way, we ought to be praying all the time. Don't you? I, I want to have hours of prayer, and you should too. Several hours a week. I just have one hour periods where I try to pray. But I'm telling you, I should have a prayer life all week long. I told you about Spurgeon the other day and just reminded me a, a great thought whenever he said, you know, how long is your average prayer life? How long do you pray at one setting? And, and no doubt he prayed for a lot longer at some time. He said, but most of my prayers are no more than five minutes. He said, then I rarely go five minutes without praying. And what he's saying is I got a life of prayer. I'm continuing to talk to the Lord. And of the ten prayers that are listed here in the book of Nehemiah, eight of them are in response to problems. A problem comes up, and he says, Lord, help me. Or he does something, he says, Lord, please reward me. Reward me for that. See what I've given, and please take care of me on that situation. Meet my needs. And by the way, I'm glad that Brother John spoke on prayer this morning. I believe it's important, because we need a vision to what God's doing, and we also need passion. Passionate givers, passionate prayers, passionate workers to get involved in what God's doing. 
This week we're going to, we've been praying over different cities and uh, Crown Point and then uh, Calumet City last week. This week is Hammond. And on Thursday night, Brother Abdel is going to lead us in that and, his, and, and structure us throughout the city. And I hope all of you will participate in some way, especially those of us who live in Hammond. We ought to say, okay, God, what can I do? What part of the city would you let me walk? We've already had two families visit from people walking and praying. Not out soul winning, just praying. And people approach them, what are you doing? And they got to meet people and the people are coming to church as a result of praying. I think I wonder how much more things would be done if we learned to pray. And I'm, I'm for working, I'm for serving, I'm for preaching. But boy, I think we oftentimes underestimate prayer. But Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, you know why I think Nehemiah prayed so much? Because he needed God so much. You know why it's good for us to go through some difficult times sometimes? Because we really need God. Need God to do something. There's two things that make us want to pray, and that is helplessness and faith. When we're helpless enough, I, I'm sure this afternoon when that precious little girl, Janelle, was hit by a car and, and laying lifeless on the, on the, on the pavement, I, I imagine Brother Joe prayed. I imagine everybody that saw that began to pray earnestly. And thank God he heard our prayer and she's able to go home. It's an amazing, he said, it's a miraculous thing, Pastor. I don't even know how in the world she's not, she's not with the Lord. But, uh, you know, whenever you get in a helpless situation, you'll start praying. You'll start praying when you're helpless enough, when I'm helpless enough, when I realize I can't do anything about this. God's got to do this. And then we exercise faith to do it. But I love about Nehemiah, Nehemiah for, for all he was, a layman, working a secular job, not a pastor, not a priest, working, but more he got a burden. And it bothered him so much, he began to pray and mourn and fast. And then he went to God with his petition. He said, Lord, we see there's exaltation. He exalted God. By the way, all powerful prayers should be packed with some praise. There ought to be praise and adoration to the Lord. Usually when we have a prayer meeting, I usually ask someone to open up with just a prayer of praise and adoration to God. He says, Lord, he's a great, he's a terrible God, he's unbelievable. He's done so many good things. He entered into his prayer with, with exaltation, but he did not leave it there. He went to confession. Let's look at the next part of the verse, can we please? We're looking at verse number six now. Let thine ear be attentive and thy eyes open. Lord, would you listen to me? Would you look over here? Thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee day and night. You find it was continual. He was praying. He would pray for four months before he would talk to the king. Four months. How many days would that be approximately? Four months. About 120 days. Boy, most of us, we, 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 get, we get bored after 12 days. After day and a half, 120 days, he just kept this little thing in his heart and he prayed and he praised the Lord and he prayed day and night. And the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel that we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which the commandments commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If we transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if we return unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great, what? 
and thy strong hand. I'll come back to verse 11 in a moment. But we find here that he has not only in his prayer exaltation of God, but also confession of sin. Nothing complicates progress in the Christian church, in the Christian life like sin does. I'd like to encourage you, get honest with God. Get humble before the Lord. I've done this before. Our church, I think its history is unbelievable. But we've got some dark moments of sin and pride and, and disappointing things through the years. I think anyone would be blind to say that didn't happen. And oftentimes I've knelt here on this property in this auditorium and said, God, please forgive me of sin. Forgive any sin that, that, that's not been confessed in our church. Some of the things that people oftentimes criticize us for, hey, you need to confess all the sins of your past. Oh, well, I've done that. Not all of them, because I don't know all of them. But I do know there's some things that were not right always. Most things are great. But he said, Lord, would you please forgive me? And would you forget our, give our fathers who have not obeyed you completely? He got, got real with God. I want to encourage all of us to get real with God. Don't just get cleaner, get clean. Don't, don't keep any closet of your heart closed to the Lord. If you've got a problem, confess it. If we cover our sin, we're not going to prosper. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. But whoso confesses, and confess means to say the same thing. He can have mercy. Confess and forsake it. Confess what we did wrong. Ask God to have mercy upon us, and then make, a, make, a, make a, a, every provision. Not to give provision to the flesh to fulfill the luster of, but to say, Lord, I don't want to continue down that thing. Go for the juggler when it comes to sin, addictions, secret things. Nothing kind of complicates us, our communication, like, like secret sin. When you have secret sin, you begin to ball up and you don't, you don't communicate effectively because you have to cover too many tracks. You don't want to talk to God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We find that Nehemiah was humble enough. And, of course, he had 120 days to think about it. But he exalted the Lord. He confessed to the Lord. Notice what else he did. He reminded the Lord of his promises. He said, verse number 8, what's the first word you see in verse 8? Remember. He said, Lord, would you remember? I remember what you said to Moses. You said if, if my people get away from me, but then they'll come back to me and they'll say, God, I'm wrong. I'm not away from, I'm away from you. And they'll come back. You'll gather them and you'll help them. Isn't it wonderful we have a God who abundantly loves to pardon, loves to forgive. He loves to give mercy. He loves to give wisdom. He doesn't rebuff us and give us, get us to that, don't ever come back to me. We learned that in the story of the prodigal son, is that the father was waiting and anticipating him coming. One of his favorite words in the Bible is come. Come unto me, all you that labor, heavy laden. The spirit and the bride, before God closed out the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, he said, and the spirit of the bride say, come. He said, come to me. I want you to come. It's one of God's favorite words, and if you're in sin, come to the Lord. But also, he says, remember, Lord, what you told us. You told us if we did right, you would bless us. If we did wrong, you would curse us. But if we changed and repented, you would please bless us. Would you consider doing that? And then we see not only a great affliction and reproach. We see a great God, and we see him praying for the promises of God. By the way, aren't you glad that God is proactive? Many times in the Bible, a hundred times, I guess, I have not counted them, but I've heard this, a hundred times in the Bible, God asks us to wait. 
And there are certain times where we need to wait on the Lord. We love that. I love that song, Ask and it shall be. Can you sing it with me? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the be open unto you. Open in God's time. Ye have not, because ye ask not. Ask and seek and find, for the Lord gives good things in his time. Wait on the Lord, wait, wait, I say, wait on the Lord thy God. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait, wait. There are many of you, you're in a holding pattern. You're waiting on the Lord to do things together, and I think that's great. You know, but more, more times than not, God wants us to pursue. He's very proactive. He's not in a hurry, but he is, he is proactive. He is on a conquest to get everyone to hear about his son, Jesus, everywhere. He wants global conquest. That's why I think every church, I heard a pastor get recently introducing me to the service, and he said, it just seems like First Baptist Church has just gone global. They just are trying to get everybody the gospel, and he goes, it's stimulated our church. Our church is giving more because of what First Baptist is doing. So we're hearing these missionaries come in there and this, this team and that thing. Boy, you know, that, that's, we do that because God's idea is that. God so loved the world. We want our young people to surrender. We, uh, I will show you a little, little video tonight as we exit, possibly about uh, uh, our, four of our young men and one of our young ladies went down to Barbados and did their VBS. And Brother, Brother uh, Smith is talking about that. Just a beautiful thing. A lot of some grassroots things are taking place that's causing uh, world, world, the world to hear about the Lord. But God is a God of global conquest. And he says, I want you to remember what I, what I told you. And then lastly, he said, Lord, I want you to prosper us. Would you look at verse number 11? Verse 10 talks about God's great power. We've learned about a great affliction and reproach, a great God, now great power. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant. And the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. By the way, this all ought to be about the name of the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not Brother Brother Francis. It's about the Lord. To prosper. Would you prosper us? And I pray thee, thy servants this day, and grant his mercy in the sight of this man. Would you read the last part of the verse with me? For I was. We see a commitment. He said, Lord, I'm committed to your name. I'm committed to you getting this done. And I want to see you prosper us. As you pray, could I encourage you to pray for the exaltation of the name of God. That we would be clean as a church and as a people and as individuals. That God would honor his promises. And we would claim them. And that God would prosper his servants. Let's pray together. Can we, dear Lord, thank